Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I told you last week that we're going to be looking at Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, We're not going to do that until next week, Lord willing. Uh, I have a few more things to say about verses 31 to 35 that, uh, that I want to talk about today and I think will be helpful to us as a church. And I'm really uh, encouraged by the study of God's Word today. So I hope you are as well. But we'll start the reading at Acts chapter 4. Now the church has just gone through a bit of its first persecution uh, as the the disciples have been proclaiming Christ and uh, a lame man has been healed and some of the religious leaders of the day have thrown... Peter and John in prison and told them not to speak about Christ anymore. And of course, uh, they're not going to do that. Uh, we are testimony to that because we're here today uh, because they did not keep quiet but kept on proclaiming Christ. And people have followed in their footsteps and we pray today that we would do the same. But they gathered back together with the other followers of Christ and it tells us here in verse 41, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Again, may God's blessing be with his word and may we embrace it and follow it and use it in our lives to bring him glory. Well, let's talk turkey. And I'm, I'm not saying that because it's Thanksgiving. I don't want to hear about uh, the turkey you had on Thursday, though I have to say that the turkey we had, this 24-pound uh, turkey on steroids it looked like, that was the best turkey I've ever had. And I commend my cousin for his work in cooking that, and I certainly enjoyed that. But when I say, let's talk turkey, uh, I'm using the phrase as an idiom that you're probably all familiar with, that means let's speak frankly. Let's discuss some serious business. Uh, Let's talk about some things that are really important. Now that phrase, let's talk turkey, just to give you a a fun story, I was wondering as I thought about that and said, uh, started putting together the introduction, what does that mean? Where where in the world did we get a phrase that means let's talk turkey and why does that mean uh, let's talk about serious things or talk frankly about things. Well, I did a little research and and this expression allegedly comes from a story. Uh, An Indian and a white man hunted together and they shot a buzzard and a turkey. And when it came time to divide the game, the white man in the usual style of making a bargain with the Indian proposed a division of the spoils in this way. He said, I'll take the turkey and you take the buzzard Or if you prefer, you take the buzzard and I'll take the turkey. And the Indian replied, no, no, you talk turkey to me. Because he wanted the turkey. He wanted to talk about what was really important. Not any of this buzzard business, 
but let's talk about this turkey and how we're going to divide the turkey up. So that's where we get this expression, talking turkey, talking about what's really important, speaking frankly about important things. And I want to speak today about some important issues facing us as a church. And if you're visiting with us today and you go to a church, uh, this would be timely for any church. And uh, especially in the United States, as we see uh, many churches struggling. Here at First Presbyterian Church, we face struggles. And there are two things about our church that fill us, fill you and me, with anxiety. I've talked to lots of people, and, and when we talk, we're worried about the future of the church on two accounts. And those two things are empty pews and an empty bank account. And I know we're not alone in struggling with those things. Empty pews and an empty bank account. We don't see that we're growing uh, in people or in financial stability, and that causes us anxiety because that does not bode well for the future, of course. Well, I believe the text before us today gives us guidance on how to address these particular problems. And I would propose, and this is, this is what I'm saying today, sum it up in one sentence, I propose that what we need more than anything else is to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. A church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm basing that thought on the text before us today. Now this section of Scripture describes for us what happens when the church is filled with the Spirit. Verse 31 it states, and when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this empowerment by the Holy Spirit leads to two things, or it led to two things for them. Boldness or courage. That word boldness means courage. Uh, boldness and courage in speech, and boldness and courage in deeds. And you look at the structure of what we just read, verses 31 to 35. Verse 31 mentions boldness in word. Verse 32 mentions boldness in deeds. Verse 33 mentions boldness in word. Verse 34 and 35, boldness in deeds. So I think Luke here is trying to make a point about boldness in word and deed. And all of this comes as a result of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 31 says that they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And verse 33 tells us that the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection with great power. And this was even in the face of increasing persecution. So it required courage or boldness to speak up for Christ. They were filled with the Spirit and they continued to speak the word with boldness. And if we want to see our empty pews filled we must engage people with the gospel, this message. This is what we're all about. We exist as a church uh, because of the good news about Jesus Christ. We've embraced it. Uh, we want to celebrate. We want to proclaim it. That's what makes us a church, the gospel. But why don't we? Why don't we have boldness and courage to go out and proclaim the good news about Jesus? I would say it's because we're not filled with the Spirit. Now look at what the text says about boldness and courage indeed. Verse 32 says, there's the, says now the full number, but the word there in the Greek is and, continuing on the thought of verse 31, 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to preach the word with boldness, and the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And 34 reminds us as well that there was not a needy person among them because people were selling land and houses and and giving the proceeds to the church, and they were distributing that amongst those who were in need. Now, just a thought about a couple of things about this giving, and this is where I want to focus some of our attention uh, on on the generosity that was being experienced. Some people uh, think this points to an early form of communism or socialism, but two things tell us that this was not true. First, this giving was entirely voluntary. Uh, you see there in verse, uh, we read, uh, read ahead a little bit in chapter 5, verse 4, the episode with Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, they sold some land. They said it was the full price of the land, but they were trying to make themselves look good and, and uh, said it was the full price of the land, but it was only part of the price of the land. They kept the rest for themselves. Uh, they were being hypocrites, pretending that they were giving more than they were. And when Peter rebukes Ananias, he says in verse 4 of chapter 5, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He's saying, you didn't have to give it to the church. It was completely your choice. You didn't even have to sell the land. You could have kept it for yourself. But here you are making a show of it and being a... So this giving that was going on in the early church was entirely voluntary. These people were filled with the Spirit and moved to give when they saw some the needs that were around them. Secondly, private ownership of property continued in the church. Throughout the New Testament, we find uh, that people owned homes, especially in which Christians met together. Uh, So-and-so met together regularly in the home of so-and-so. You read that in a few verses in the New Testament. People owned land and property, as we see here in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. And it's not clearly reflected in our English translation, but the verb tense in uh, these these verses that we just read, is in the imperfect tense in Greek, and that indicates that this was a continuous action in the past. It was something that they did. If you have a New International Version, they inserted a phrase, from time to time. Uh, they would People would sell land and houses from time to time and give it to those who had a need. So it was something that was ongoing. It was something that was voluntary. Uh, it was happening over and over again. So it wasn't that when people became Christians, they automatically gave up all of their possessions and pooled them together. That's not, what this was, that's not how this was happening. As needs arose, those with means would donate to the needs of the others. And this happens when people are filled under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this type of generosity required some courage. Again, we saw that the the boldness and courage in speech, they needed that courage because there were people who wanted to shut them up and keep them from speaking. So the Holy Spirit gave them boldness and courage to speak, but there also needs to be boldness and courage when you're engaging in this type of generosity in which these early believers uh, were engaged in. They, uh, you know, as we all know, as we think about our own tithes and giving to the church, it takes some courage to give sometimes, oftentimes, because you don't have as much cushion for emergencies. 
Uh, or maybe you feel like your, your gifts would be misused or not used like you want them to be used if you gave them to the church. And it might give you less disposable income for your own comforts and pleasures as they arise. You might not have that extra money so you could take a vacation. So it takes courage to engage in this type of giving. The Holy Spirit filled them. They were emboldened to give generously. Why are there needs in our church? We have needs as a church. We, have, we, we support missionaries with the giving. We support uh, our staff with the giving. We keep our building up uh, with the giving. These are needs the church has. And we have needs that aren't being met at this moment or are very close to not being met. Uh, we're living week by week. Well, it's, not, it's because we're not giving courageously, because we're not filled with the Spirit. So in the early church, they faced persecution, but continued to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. They, they also courageously gave to the church to meet the needs of the church. And these things occurred because they were filled with the Spirit. Now that begs the most important question that I want to answer today. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be emboldened and encouraged to, to, to speak up and to do uh, deeds of love and mercy and generosity, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, three things that I want to highlight about this. First of all, it's a command to be filled with the Spirit. It's not something that just happens. Uh, when you see... Uh, this prayer in verse 31 that the believers make. You know, they pray and, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and then they are emboldened. But if you continue to study throughout the rest of the New Testament, you'll see that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a command. Particularly uh, verse, uh, or Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's an imperative. It's a command. We're commanded to do it. In Acts 6, verse 3, uh, the, the early deacons were being chosen to help minister to widows, and they were to be men who were known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, there must have been Christian men who did not fulfill that requirement, or else it would not have been a requirement. There were people in the church who were not as full of the Holy Spirit, but these men who were chosen, were full of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that they weren't Christians if they weren't full of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit dwells in all believers, but this means something more. They were full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that, that mean? First of all, it means to be filled with God. Filled with God. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Trinity he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and He lives in believers. The Holy Spirit is not an ephemeral, nebulous force that is somehow able to leak out of us. It's not like uh, air out of a balloon. Some people believe that. They need to get pumped up again each week with the Holy Spirit. That, that's not it. If the Holy Spirit is a person and he, 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 he dwells with you, He dwells in you. 
So to be filled with the Holy Spirit means you are full of God. You have received God when you become a believer. The Bible speaks of your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 was when the Holy Spirit came to dwell in the church. It descended upon the church, the people of God. And the church has that. When you become a, a believer in the Lord, you're part of the universal church. And you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in you. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit means you're full of the Lord, full of God, full of, the, full of, full of Christ. It also means that you're under the influence of God. More specifically, if, if we are being filled with God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are under His influence or control. And that is the quantitative difference between, for example, these men in Acts who were full of the Holy Spirit. All believers have God in them the whole, by the Holy Spirit, but not everyone is under the control or influence of the Holy Spirit to the degree that they should be. And that's what we're talking about here today. In Ephesians 5.18, where Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's, he's using that as an illustration. When someone gets a DUI, they are driving under the influence. They are driving under the influence of alcohol. They are not, uh, they are not being influenced by their own rationality by their own skill. No, the alcohol is affecting their ability to drive. It is coming in and it's influencing them. So they swerve and they run into trees and, and light poles and things like that. And they become a danger to those around them. To be filled with the Spirit means that you are under the influence of God, under His influence, under the influence of the Holy Spirit living in you. The person who is drunk with wine is controlled by the wine. They have taken actions which have led to their will being yielded up to the power of alcohol. When someone is filled with wine, there is a point where the wine takes over and the person is no longer in control. They're under the influence of the alcohol. Paul says, don't be filled with wine, rather be filled with the Spirit. Don't be under the influence of wine, rather be under the influence of the Spirit. Don't let wine dictate your actions. Let the Spirit dictate your actions. Yield your will to the Spirit's leading. Now, this is not some vague sense or feeling that people have. You know, there are people who say, you know, I felt the Spirit stir me. Um, that's not what we're talking about here. There was a lady that, that uh, felt that way and, and she wanted to be led by the Spirit and in everything that she did. So when she got up in the morning, she sat there until the Spirit led her to get dressed. And each particle of clothing she put on, she, she chose it based on whether the Spirit led her or not. So she would often walk out of her house with one shoe on and you know, no matching socks and you know, uh, uh, all kinds of crazy attire because she felt led by the Spirit. She just had feelings about things. That's not what we're talking about here. How do we get filled with the Spirit? In, in Ephesians 5, it tells us, if you, I've given you in your outline the, the broader passage from 15 on. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul writes a very similar statement. And then, of course, in Ephesians 5, just to... To, to read on without telling you, you know, you know what happens next. He starts talking about wives and husbands and the relationship between parents and children. Well, the same thing uh, happens in Colossians. There's a very similar passage, but it states it very, a little differently. He says, whereas Paul said before, know what the will of the Lord is. Uh, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, and then he, he goes on to talk about wives and husbands and children and parents. So a very very similar passage, thing he's communicating to the Ephesians, he also communicates to the Colossians. The point I'm making is this. He tells them, first of all, the Colossians, to the Ephesians, as he tells them to be filled with the Spirit, understand what the will of the Lord is. To the Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you know if the Spirit's leading you to do something? Well, his word will tell you. God's word will tell you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Come under its influence. Because the Holy Spirit is always going to agree with God's Word. As you come under His influence, you know you're coming under His influence if you're seeing yourself put God's Word into practice more and more. So read God's Word and yield to it. Believe it and embrace it in your life. Seek to put it into practice. Put yourself under the control of the Holy Spirit. And let him call the shots. Now think about that. If you, if you started reading the Bible and, and you said, I'm going to seek to, to live in light of, in line with what I'm reading here. I'm going to seek to put it into practice. Because often we read the Bible just to build up our knowledge, but we don't put it into practice. What if we really got serious about putting it into practice and said, okay, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's what it means to put yourself and to yield to the Holy Spirit. Put yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And as you yield, the Spirit fills and encourages and emboldens you. That's what was happening in verse 31. They were saying, Lord, they've told us to quit talking, but we're going to do what you tell us to do, not what they tell us to do. We're going to, we're going to continue to do what you've commanded, and we pray not that you would keep us safe, but that you would give us boldness. And, they, and he gave them that, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were encouraged and given more boldness and courage to speak and to give. What fills you now? Now, now we're really going to talk turkey because I'm going to talk about you and me. What fills you now? 
What influences and controls you? There are people in the world who are filled with all kinds of different things. Uh, there are people who are, and you probably know some people, who are filled, overflowing with bitterness and resentment. And you can see how it completely controls their lives. Everything about their lives is done and said in reference to some past hurt. All their decisions are poisoned by that past event, that past slight, or that, that, may, that deep hurt. And they talk about it all the time, and they, they play the victim and live their lives in reference to their pain. And they live in fear of other people because they certainly don't want to get hurt again. You've met people like that probably. Bitterness and resentment, they're under the influence of. They're filled with it. Or, how about people who are full of themselves? You know, you say, oh, isn't she full of herself? You know, what are they? They're controlled by themselves. You know, all their thoughts and desires are focused on themselves. Their lives revolve around what they want. They have to be the topic of conversation, or at least dictate the topic of conversation. If you tell them about something you're interested in, they're not really interested in it at all. And they quickly turn the, the conversation back to what they want to talk about, or themselves. And they're incapable of being unselfish, unless it somehow benefits them. They're full of themselves. They're self-centered, self-absorbed. See? Self is at the center. Self is controlling everything. Self is coming out when they speak. That's what we can go on and, and use more examples because you can be full of all kinds of things. But if you are full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, what's going to come out? You, you cannot help but speak of Him. You know, if you squeeze a lemon, lemon juice is going to come out. Uh, if you squeeze somebody who's full of God, God's going to come out. They, they, it overflows. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're full of God, you're not going to be all that concerned about keeping your money or your position uh, in the community or your own personal glory. If you're under God's influence, if you're full of God... If he's driving your actions, then you're going you're to look like God. And what was God like? He looked just, well, he, he was Jesus Christ. He is Jesus Christ. And what was Jesus Christ like? He was not interested in getting rich. Uh, he was not interested in making a name for himself. In fact, Philippians tells us that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When, the, when you're full of God, when you're full of Christ, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you will reflect that in what you say and how you treat other people and how you lay yourselves out for the needs of others. That's what the first church, uh, what, we were, what we were seeing in the first church. 
they were talking about Christ and they were acting like Christ. Fullness of the Holy Spirit leads to boldness and courage in speech and in deed. So I want to exhort all of you today to yield yourselves to God. I exhort myself. God's Word exhorts us. You and me to yield ourselves to God continuously to say, God, whatever you want, uh, to listen, let me, let me hear what you have to say and give me the grace and the strength to put it into practice and to continue to, to look at God's Word and to learn it and know it and understand it, not just for your own personal glory or for the increase of your knowledge base, but so that you can put it into practice and that it can mold and shape you into the image of Christ. So I want to encourage you to continue to read and study God's Word and pray it into practice. Not just by willpower, but asking God to fill you and to mold and shape you and to to sanctify you, to get rid of the sinfulness that makes you not want to do His Word. And to be honest about that, that's called repentance. And say, Lord, give me faith that I would trust you and follow through with what you're telling me to do. Pray it into practice. And I want to encourage everybody to not only come to church, though speaking to the choir and the congregation who is here today, uh, well done, you're here and you're listening, but as well throughout the week, get involved in a small group study if you're able. Uh, there's, there's, there's something great about gathering together in smaller groups and studying God's Word and holding one another accountable and encouraging one another one-on-one that, that might not happen as much corporately as we gather in, like this today. I'm not saying something negative about this. I'm just commending to you something more. Read God's Word on your own. Read it in a small group. Come and hear God's Word preached on a regular basis. I want to encourage you in that. And, and put yourself... Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Put yourself under His control. And I guarantee you, as we do that, we will see more people here and we will see our bank account grow bigger so that we can meet people's needs, we can meet the needs uh, of the church and the community, and we will be a a brighter burning light, a, a brighter city set on a hill here in Biloxi, Gulf Coast, and throughout the world. And your church, wherever, if you're visiting with us today, wherever you might be, you'll be an asset to that. Let's pray together.